0: Hello everyone, Uh, this is Boots on the Ground podcast and I'm your host, D. Blacks Le Our guest today works as the conservation programs manager for an organization called Space for Giants. It is an international conservation organization with a mission to protect the great wildlife landscapes that Africa's remaining wildlife needs to survive and thrive. Born in the Netherlands, Maurice set foot in Africa in 1994 and spent the first four years living in a remote Uganda village. Following a decade in Malawi, he relocated to the UK to pursue a bachelor's degree in zoology before moving to the mother city to complete a master's in conservation biology in Cape Town. After spending time conducting snow leopard research in the Himalayas, Morris has now spent the last seven years in Kenya working in the conservation sector to help promote what is ultimately a fragile coexistence between people and wildlife. Morris is a passionate traveler, writer, and photographer, and he is keen to show people that while there are no easy answers, there is always hope. I hope you get inspired and learn something. Karibu, Karibu, sana.
1: So my my name is Maurice schutgens and I'm currently the the conservation program manager at Space for Giants. Um, we're based in Nanyuki here. Um, but my, my my story, I suppose, it started um, started a, a long time ago. I say a long time. I'm not that old, um, <laughs> but um, it started in uh, it started in Uganda, actually. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm originally Dutch, and I was born in the Netherlands. But at the age of four, we um, we moved to a little uh, village in um, in eastern Uganda. Um, my dad uh, is a surgeon and he went to work for a mission hospital in eastern Uganda. So, you know, we picked up the whole family my brother, my mom, and I and we, we went over there. And um, I apologize for that. You had given me strict instructions about switching off my phone. Um, sure,
0: sure. Nope. No. You
1: just- yeah, let me continue. So, um, we we moved over to Uganda um, in uh, to a little village called Kamuli. At the time, and at the time, Kamuli had had literally nothing. I think it had um, it had one roundabout and uh, a couple of shops. And that was basically it. This was in ninety three, um, and we lived there for four years. Um, and that um, you know, my mom homeschooled my brother and I, and taught me to read and write. And living there, it was actually quite a privilege because, you know, it gave me an an opportunity. You know, we were lucky enough to travel around Uganda and Uganda is an absolutely spectacular country. Um, And the first national park we went to was in the far northeast of the country um, called Kidepo Valley National Park. And I'm convinced that that's one of the most beautiful protected areas on the continent. And I still believe that. And I'm I'm really dying to go back. Um, But we went on safari there when I was about six years old, probably. And um, the the plane that dropped us from Kampala um, basically dropped us on the airstrip, and there was no car to meet us at the time. Yeah. And uh, probably about you know seventy five or hundred meters away, there was some uh, a pride of lions lying under a tree. Yeah. And the, the pilot had landed, and uh, he he looked back, and he could see these storm clouds coming in. And he's like, "Listen, guys, I'm really sorry, but I'm gonna have to go." <laughs> uh-huh. So he's like. Just- just just stay here. Um, just stay here. You know, don't make any sudden movements. The, the lions, would, the, the car is coming, etc. And he left. And we we're like, Whoa. okay, cool. Um, so we stood there. And uh, anyway, the, the tractor, it, it was a tractor and a trailer that came and collected us uh, because the car was broken. And um, anyway, we had this amazing safari in Kidepo, And that kind of, I think, got me started. We had a close encounter with an elephant there as well that charged the car and the the Driver had to hotwire the car. Anyway, there's a lot of stories from Kidepo that happened all on that one trip. But I think that kind of started it. And then when I got into yeah. my teens, I um I got really I got really um engaged with Steve Owen. And I don't know if you know Steve Owen, but I'm sure you do. Um the 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 late conservationist um in, in Australia, and he had a very I mean, he, he was extravagant, right? With his TV shows and his, you know, croc files and this and that. But, you know, I really felt he was quite passionate about wildlife and conservation. And um, I really enjoyed watching what he was doing. And, and that's how I got into conservation. And it kind of stuck with me. And it, it was very clear what I wanted to do from about, you know, 12 years old. And uh, yeah, so I, I went. I did a bachelor's in the UK, a master's in Cape Town. And and now I'm here,
0: I suppose. Wow. So and how long, that's how my long... story wow that's that's a beautiful beautiful story and i like that key that uh first encounter with uh with the lions (laughs) there at key depot that that must be um adrenaline you know kicking and i'm sure that memory has stuck with you all these years and how long have you been in kenya
1: so i've been in kenya the last seven years um i came in um i came in august 2014 actually as a as a volunteer with uh with space for giants um but i've spent most of my life in Africa. So we lived in Uganda for four years, then I lived in Malawi for 10 years. Um, I lived in uh, Cape Town for two years. Um, so I, I've spent a, most of my life in, in Africa. So, yeah, it, it's where my heart is. And it's, um, I, I'm very passionate about this continent and, you know, what goes on here.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much, Maurice, for that. And what do you love most about your work now as Conservation Program Manager at uh, Space for Giants? <laughs> good question um i think i think what i
1: love most is that it is unbelievably diverse you know space for giants we have a really wide portfolio of projects we do a lot of different things um you know one day you're 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 working with local farmers in their fields another day you're having you know ministerial meetings sometimes you're traveling you know across west africa or or southern africa so it's extremely diverse um but probably what i what I enjoy most is that it's really challenging, right? and you know uh, I think um a job worth doing is is a challenging one and you know every day, you know it's it's difficult. conservation isn't easy, you know sometimes it's one step forward and and you know two miles back. Sure. Um, no day is the same. Um, and so you know I think that um you know, there are no silver bullets in conservation. So what I really enjoy is that we are, you know, we're involved in a wide range of projects. And I think we're involved in projects that really will shift the needle and change the paradigm of conservation. Um, so, yeah, that,
0: that's what I enjoy. Wow. And and Maurice, I've been following you for, for a couple of months now on your social media and uh, uh what, you're you're really right what uh, but mostly you're always on the field there you know working with the elephants you know whether it's moving them across you know uh, farmlands there to the conservation areas and uh uh how does your typical work day look like now balancing these you know meetings office and field how how, how does it look like on a, on a on a day-to-day basis and how does it feel
1: well, I, I mean, I, I think I have to qualify what you see on my Instagram profile. Um, that I'm probably just showing you the highlights, um, inevitably, <laughs> because I, I have realised that conservation is mostly uh, spreadsheets, budgets, endless Zoom calls. Sound familiar? You know, it's um, it's it's endless hours behind um, computers, and um, I mean that's where that's where conservation you know, happens. I feel from my experience and, you know, the yeah. going out in a helicopter and pushing elephants across fences and, you know, traveling to other countries. I mean, th- those are the exceptions to the rule, um, really. Um, yeah. but, you know, we, m- my job is very diverse. So I, I do travel for COVID. Um, yeah, I, I was on the road for, you know, a, a couple of weeks, um, a month, almost, you know, going regularly to Gabon and Uganda and, and to oh. the Kaza region. Um, and, you know, that, that also is a double-edged sword, you know, as conservationists you know, traveling around, you know, polluting the environment, trying to do conservation, you know, it cuts both ways. Um, but anyway, I mean, the, the job is, uh, no day is the same, you know, um, and, and lots sure. of time is spent in, in, in airports, or with with uh, laptops on your lap in a in a taxi, you know that that's that's more common than the helicopters
0: you you see me posting on Instagram. <laughs> okay, great. Switching on gears now. Um, could you give us a brief background of Space for Giants and its conservation work? First of all, a big big congratulations to to you and the team for going carbon neutral, which is something which is Thank a you. big milestone. Um, and I know you're involved it is. in so much project on the ground. Could you give us a bit of of of, of what goes goes on there in Laikipia and maybe in other countries? Sure, I, I can do that. So,
1: <clears throat> Space for Giants has come has come an extremely long way um, from, from where we started. So, I mean, Space for Giants in, in a nutshell, I mean, we're a conservation charity currently working in, in nine African countries. Um, and what we do is, you know, we, we, we use science um, to, you know, underpin our work and develop best practice when it comes to unlocking value and delivering protection we've got these two arms of work and one side is value and the other side is protection. So on the protection side of things, you know, we, we've got projects that look at human elephant conflict mitigation through our electric fences. We've got supporting uh, ranger teams um, to uh, provide a frontline protection response. Um, You know, we work with the judiciary to improve, um, you know, the wildlife justice system. Um, And then on our value side, what we're trying to do is, you know, we're trying to demonstrate that the, you know, Africa's protected area estate, you know, they can be these engines for economic uh, development and prosperity for people living alongside them if we can really unlock that value, right? It's about bringing in investment into those protected areas, creating jobs, you know, paying taxes uh, and ultimately generating benefits for those who share space alongside. So, you know, that's what Space for Giants does right now. And it's interesting because we're actually currently in the middle of developing a new strategic plan uh, and trying to figure out, you know, where we've come from, and you know what is needed now, and how do does space for giants need to adapt? You know, we've got to be adaptive. We've got to be pragmatic. You know, about our approach. So, you know, our, our new vision—it's um, still kind of being wordsmith—but uh, we we want to secure a healthy Earth. You know, a healthy Africa, a healthy continent. Um, you know, that uh, that generates benefits for people and wildlife. So, how do we do that? Well, it's it's tough, and it's it's work in progress. Um, but to give you a bit of background of space for giants, I mean. Space for Giants itself um, developed through um, basically our CEO's uh, PhD program back in 2006 up to 2010, which looked at understanding human elephant conflict in Laikipia and how elephants use space in increasingly human dominated landscapes. Right. Um, That's where we started. And then we snowballed very quickly into the anti-poaching space because in, you know, 2010, 2011, 2012, um, we were at the the height of the poaching crisis, right? And now we're 10 years on and we've, again, we've shifted our, you know, our approach and we've moved beyond boots on the ground. And it's now looking at, okay, well, you know, what we need now is conservation investment. We need to unlock value of the, you know, the natural capital in Africa, otherwise it it won't survive into the long term. So we're so much more than elephants, uh, even though our name might suggest
0: uh, it's all about the giants. Um, but wow. it's much more than that. Wow, and I like what you said about uh, con- conservation investment, which is uh, something very new, and we are waiting for, for that strategic plan, a new vision, which I'm sure will drive you know, will be scalable and will drive conservation in Africa forward. And Maurice, according to you and according to your experience, what are some of the biggest threats, you know, facing wildlife in Kenya and generally maybe in Africa?
1: Sure. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think um, if if you had asked me 10 years ago and uh, using, you know, the elephant lens, I would have said, you know, poaching, you know, was the biggest issue. That was the biggest threat. And, um, you know, the statistics are undeniable. You know, populations have plummeted in the the last decade um, due to the impact of, of, you know, the illegal wildlife trade, you know, that these transnational organized crime syndicates have been pushing. If you ask me now, I mean, I think the, the lens has changed entirely. And now we're very much aware that it's about, you know, a lack of space, you know, competition for land and ultimately conflict with people and these competing needs, you know, wild spaces are shrinking at, you know, incredible rates. Um, and if you take elephants, there was a recent paper that was published, you know, elephants they can use, I believe the paper said something about like 62% of the content is still, you know, elephant range, but they use a tiny percentage of that space. Um, so, you know, wild areas are shrinking and, and it, it, it simply cannot hold. So, biggest threat right now is securing space for giants. And I suppose this is, you know, it takes us back to our name, but um, that's what Space for Giants is really going to be focusing on um, from our strategic plan. Um, We want to help secure wild spaces um, for for wildlife, of course, but you know, it it needs to benefit people. If it doesn't benefit people, then it will not be valued. So the challenge really is how do we get uh, people who live alongside, wildlife to to value it you know i think i think it's a very you know in the western world you know it's a very comfortable position to sit in to say oh you know you know africa you you must protect your elephants and your lions and your this and that but that you know that narrative doesn't doesn't work here you know with the people who suffer at the hands of raiding elephants or you know uh, lions that kill livestock you know so it's um it's a really difficult thing to
0: to kind of bridge um so that's that's what the challenge is right now yeah, and I'm glad you've mentioned about populations and lack of space because the, the Africa's population is growing. And by 2050, we are projecting the populations to be, you know, around big numbers. I've forgotten the exact number, but it's up... 2.4 big, billion. 2.4 billion, precisely, to double up, you see. And now we are talking about, you know, conservation of species and we will be lacking, you know, space to reintroduce them back to the wild, Maurice. And I know human-elephant human conflict is on the rise. And uh, I've had various conservationists say that we don't need more space. We need to, you know, uh, give these people benefits. You know, uh, most of them are not feeling, you know, the exact benefits of conservation. And, uh, Maurice... Uh, how have you managed to mitigate uh, human elephant conflict around uh, the Laikipia areas uh, while providing social economic benefits to, you know, to the farmers there, to, to the local people and ensuring that they, they feel this ownership, that these elephants, these uh, animals that are here, they, 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 they are our resource and you need to protect them?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is this is the biggest, you know, challenge that we face in conservation at the moment. And I think, you know, human elephant conflict it's such a it's such an emotive topic, right? I mean, you got these extremely charismatic um, animals that you know the Western world and Europe everyone values them, and then at the same time, depending on you know the perspective and and who you are, you, you look at these animals as a pest um, that are destroying your livelihood and they prevent you from sending your kids to school. So it, it's an impossibly um, difficult situation. I'm sorry, got a plane coming overhead, so you might hear that in the background. Um, but this is a this is a, a project problem. that you know I've been working on for the last um, last seven years here in in Laikipia. And Laikipia has been this incredible learning experience for myself for the organisation to understand because everyone talks about the narrative. Uh, you know, we must value elephants because of you know ecotourism and it brings foreign investment and it brings money and it brings tourism and it brings jobs and all of these things. And yes. Yeah course that that is true to a degree but if you i can take you to any number of places along you know in Kipia here where the people generate absolutely zero benefit from sure. those set elephants right sure and convincing yeah. convincing those people to value elephants is you know it, it's an impossible job really um and and so what we've learned you know in our work is that it's not about um, resolving human-elephant conflict to 100%. You know? It's not achievable. You know, there are no silver bullets. You cannot achieve that. But it's about tolerance. And people are willing to tolerate a degree of you know, conflict with wildlife if at least they can see that people are really investing resources to mitigate things. So, you know, what we've learned in Lykipia is that it's very context specific. So Space for Giants, you know, we, we've tried in the past, a lot of these, uh, what we call household deterrents, you know, we've got the, the chili fences, the dungri cats, the watchtowers, the banger sticks, you know, beehives, you've got, you've got all sorts of different interventions, right? at a household level and and the problem with with those are is that yes they can be effective possibly at the household level but they you know they require a lot of work you cannot ask a farmer to farm 10 hours in his field every day and then spend the whole night in a watchtower to guard his crops simply not going to work um so and and you know elephants are extremely clever and you know they habituate very quickly and they know what's going to kill them or not or going to hurt them etc so you know they they learn very quickly and then they find ways to circumvent those so you know, at a landscape level, what we think is a meaningful level, um, you know, electric fences have been our tool of choice and, you know, over the last 20 years, about electric fencing. And there's been, you know, this arms race between people and elephants where, you know, previously we thought, okay, elephants are big, hulking creatures. We need these big, tall fences, lots of wire, uh, you know, lots of voltage. And over time, you know, we have seen how elephants have broken these electric fences very cleverly using their body, using their, their tusks, their trunks, etc. And so these fences have seen the fences we build currently, but these, these really low fences. Yeah. You know, they're only three foot above the ground. They've got these pointy pieces of metal at a forty-five outriggers that obviously have current as well. And um, and those are those are very effective um, at reducing conflict. But again, you know, there is nothing as a hundred percent. There is no such thing as elephant-proof. I simply do not believe it and if we have this conversation in 5 years time i'm sure we'll be on to a different design of fence sure. again as sure. the elephants have learnt um so i mean anyway look space for giants you know we we do fences we do we do good fences um you know we've invested millions of dollars in electric fences and i think we are having impact in like where you know conflict used to be extremely severe i mean amongst the severest in east africa and um we're taking our lessons learned to you know to gabon botswana to uganda um, to see if we can, you know, help the authorities there.
0: Sure, Maurice. I totally agree with you on that. It's all about using all, all the tools. Sorry, another plane. Yeah, sorry. I'm sorry about that. Um, it's all about using all the tools in the toolbox, and I'm sure you're taking the lesson, lessons learned and while improving on those systems. And, uh, 100%. Yeah, Kudos on that. And Maurice, the savanna Elephant and the Forest Elephant have been listed by uh, the IUCN as endangered and critically endangered, respectively. Um, what are some of the key drivers of, of this decline? I'm sure COVID-19 might, you know, have been one of them, but I'm sure there are other factors which you have come across uh, in your research and in your work. What are some of these, you know, factors, Maurice? Yeah, I mean... Listen, I think um, I think other people have done, um,
1: you know, a lot of research into this. And, you know, people have kept really good statistics. And I, I always look forward to the next, you know, African elephant specialist report it comes out every two years and it gives you an overview of the populations and, and, you know, what what the issues are that they're facing. So, you know, if you ask me about the, the forest elephant, the critically endangered forest elephant now, I mean, yeah, they've experienced huge declines. Um, over the last you know 10 20 years you know gabon alone lost uh, an estimated 25,000 between 2004 and 2014 i believe um and and that's you know driven by 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 poaching for you know demand for ivory in the far east um so ivory obviously you know it's a it's a status symbol and you know people have you know, have wanted to acquire that. And I think, you know, um, on this point as well, you know, China must be applauded for putting in place a ban. You know, I think that is really fantastic. and the credit where it's due. Um, but in the past, obviously, you know, poaching has driven the decline there. I mean, the same is true of the savannah elephants. Um, you know, if you if you look at the the, the statistics that came out during the, the great elephant census that was by and carried out by elephants without borders, um which was fantastic. You know they um they showed you know some areas you were finding immortality rates you know of every 10 elephants found you were finding three dead elephants you know and, and that was in like southeastern Angola um, in southwestern Zambia, so, and then the declines in northern Tanz and southern Tanzania, and northern um, Mozambique. You know, so poaching yeah. yeah. has been the main driver, but now that shift is is changing. And you know what we've seen in in Laikipia, at least, is that um, we keep very good statistics. You know, we monitor the illegal killing of elephants, and we do that together with the KWs. And what our statistics have shown that in the last Five six years, the leading cause of elephant mortality here is, is human elephant conflict. You know, it's no longer poaching. I mean, we had zero poaching in twenty twenty in this landscape, but you know, we had quite a few number of uh, of elephants that were killed due to conflict. So, increasingly, that will be the leading cause um, of mortality. Um, so that's you know, it takes us back to how do we share space and how do we live alongside these elephants.
0: That's the challenge totally agree how do we crack that coexistence you know coexistence thing of uh, you know people and and animals and you know creating that mutual benefit for both um and maurice i know space for giants has doesn't do this alone you have other people on board um and could you please tell us how have partnerships and collaborations played a key role in taking your uh, conservation your vision for conservation forward
1: yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a very strong believer in, in partnerships and we've got to leverage each other's. I, you know, I, always, I always cringe a little bit when I see, you know, conservation organizations badmouthing each other, you know, competing for the same dollar and, and trying to undermine each other because, you know, the, the conservation world can be a little bit tricky at times. Um, and I just feel, you know, the challenge is so big, we simply don't have time for that. Um, so we all really need to come together and, you know, but we each need to do what we're good at, I, I think. So I think this is where Space for Giants, we're trying to find what our niche is in this, you know, in this conservation industry. Um, yeah. And I think this is, you know, where we are looking towards. um you know the conservation investment space you know we're, we're really getting heavily involved in that i think we're very good at the human elephant conflict mitigation stuff that we've done you know with electric fences so I, I think that you know if we leverage each other's strength then we can really help each other and i think you know we need to work in partnership with people with credible partners in other countries and you know space for giants has done that we we um we've worked over the last three years on an eu funded project in the casa uh, region and we haven't gone and opened up, you know, a Space for Giants office in Gaza. No, we've identified credible partners in each of those countries, and we're working through them to help and see if we can, you know, increase the capacity of those organizations or their scope um, so that they can do uh, a better job. And and that's what we need to do more of. Um, in Kenya specifically, you know, one of the examples I, I always like to quote is that, you know, we, we work in the wildlife justice space and, you know, Kenya has done an incredible job. There was a recent article that came out about, you know, how Kenya has really turned the tide on poaching. Um, and, and the statistics are incredible. The conviction rates are up into the 90s. Um, incredible work. But, you know, that has been a collaborative approach. You know, Space for Giants can't take credit for that alone, nor can... There were partners like, you know, AWF, uh, the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime, you know, they are incredibly supportive of all all the work that's happening here. Um, So, you know, I think partnerships, it's all about partnerships. We need to do more of it. Um,
0: I think that's my point. Thank you, thank you. (laughs)
1: uh,
0: Do you you believe we can have conservation without tourism? Because in the past, uh, you know, um, year or so, we have seen reduced number of tourist revenue to run parks and conservancies decreasing unemployment and people have resorted to bushmeat poaching. We have also seen, you know, reduced donors, you know. And uh, Maurice, do you believe we can have conservation without, uh, you know, depending on on the tourism, on the tourist numbers that uh, Africa, you know, gets uh, annually? So it, it's an interesting one, Devlex. I mean, tourism is the you know,
1: is the default, right? When it comes to conservation, you know, in terms of generating revenue, it's it's always tourism, right? And tourism has its place. But, you know, like you've just said, COVID has demonstrated better than anything could ever have demonstrated that, you know, it's a very fickle industry. And, you know, at, at a moment's notice, you know, your income dries up just like that. And, you know, like you said, bushmeat poaching has risen. I mean, I think, the Uganda Wildlife Authority, they, you know, they indicated 125% increase in, you know, bushmeat poaching incidents um, since the start of COVID. So, yeah, I mean, that that that's really significant. Um, but tourism has its place, right? I mean, uh, I was reading up on, you know, there's a, there's a great uh, report that came out by the African leadership Um university on the state of the wildlife economy in um, in africa and you know they they reference that tourism contributes i think they said 24 million jobs on the continent oh, wow. um it contributes seven percent of africa's gdp and it's the fastest growing industry in africa of which wildlife tourism is the fastest growing sector um so i mean those are impressive numbers right in terms of em- employing and um generating revenue um, yeah. another example you know the kws i think they are you know they generate about 70 percent of their funding from from tourism so you know tourism has its place but we've got to look so much more beyond tourism because tourism cannot you know cannot deliver everything that is required right so we need to look at the whole nature-based economy that is out there and you know that that means looking at you know other um mm-hmm sectors and you know and, and you know these are like you know non-timber forest products you've got game ranching you've got hunting you've got carbon you've got uh, ecosystem services we need to look at all of those as one single package because it's very context specific right um and and the challenge really is you know especially if you come to things like ecosystem services you know everyone appreciates the fact that we have clean air you know, in yeah. the, the, the Congo forests, you know, produces wonderful oxygen and we get clean water and the mangroves, they, they protect us from, you know, uh, tsunamis and tidal waves and things like that. But how do you translate that into an actual dollar, you know, so that that money can go back into protecting those ecosystems and generating benefits for people living alongside them? So tourism, fantastic. We need to keep doing it, but we need to look so much more beyond tourism as well. And we have to get creative. That's the challenge. Um, and I think that, you know, that's what Space for Giants is trying to do. You know, we're investing heavily in um, doing carbon assessments, you know, so that yeah. we can get into the carbon credits space because, you know, the, the I think industries are getting more aware of the fact that they need to be carbon neutral, or at least they need to offset some of their carbon footprint. And, you know, they um, if policy if policy supports us and that, you know, gets, gets put into law, then, you know, that would be the right direction. So that would provide more value for these natural uh, systems that
0: we so need as, as the human race. Thank you so much for that. I totally agree with you. And Maurice, what do you think Africa's wildlife and the quality of life of the local people will look like in the next few years?
1: That is a really difficult question. And, y- you know, you alluded to it before, you know, 2.4 billion People by 2050. Um, you know, it's I think the, the population in Africa is growing at 2.5% per year. It's the fastest growing anywhere in the world. Um, and currently, I think um, over 60% of Africa's population is under the age of 25. You know, these no. are these are extremely scary numbers. Um, and with those numbers, you know, we're 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 gonna have you know, increasing pressure on resources, there's not going to be enough jobs. Um, you know, we have to be, we have to be pragmatic about, you know, how we're going to address this. And it, it's a really difficult one. Like, I mean, sometimes I feel, I feel myself very much, you know, I, I don't know what the future holds, and it scares me. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think conservation really needs positive mindset, right? Um, sure. If we're going to get involved in this. So we, we really need to to, to realize that, you know, humans and the natural world, you know, we are increasingly interlinked um, and we have got to unlock value. I mean, I keep coming back to that because that is the only thing that will ensure that, uh, you know, these systems are... are maintained into the long term and I don't have easy answers either you know there's people much more qualified who can you know talk to this but you know with the increasing demands that are going that we're going to see in the next 20-30 years it's going to be it's going to be an extremely um, challenging situation and I think you know African governments have to come on board and put the natural world front and center realizing that that is what generates you know all of these things that we so badly need you know water and oxygen all these things you know we need to see how we value those and get that as front and center of the agenda cannot be ignored any longer. Um you know otherwise these these wild areas they will be taken away for us. And you know, forget the elephants. It's not about the elephants anymore. You know, um yeah. elephants are a tool. It's about you know these um these services that we get from these uh wild areas. Sure. So it's difficult uh-huh. like, I have no easy answers. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> it's okay. Um and as we look to close Maurice uh um how can our listeners support, you know, Space for Giants conservation efforts?
1: I mean, the, the, the default, as you know, the most obvious is always, you know, to donate, you know, uh, conservation costs money. Um, nothing is cheap Um, that's the most obvious but you know more than money i think what we really require is we need people living in the countries where you know we are doing these conservation efforts and i'm talking about you know if we talk about kenya i'm talking about people living in nairobi you know to become part of the conservation part of the conversation rather than the conservation the conversation you know they it's those individuals who are living for example, in Nairobi, you know, they are the ones who need to value the Aberdeers or Mount Kenya or, you know, um, uh, a community conservancy up north somewhere. You know, so it really needs to be front and center of the discussion. Right. So um, it's about valuing those kind of uh, services that we get and, you know, starting to make ethical choices where we can. And I realize that that is you know, that's also a privileged position, you know, if you can choose to do X instead of Y, you know, because it's better for the environment, you know, that is a luxury position to be in and not everyone is able to do that. So where we can making the right choices, but I think it's about, you know, being part of the conversation um, and ensuring that, you know, especially, I mean, everything comes down to politics, right? Conservation is about politics. So Mm -hmm. how do we get conservation into the political realms and get... The agenda, and I think you know, ultimately, you need people to come together. Um, you know, the citizens of Kenya, the citizens of Africa, to come together and say, "Listen, this is what really matters uh, yeah. to us," and, and and that's what we really need, right? So you know, space for giants can't do this alone. You know, um, we, we need people to support conservation at large, not just space for giants. Um, so I think become part of the, the conversation. Start
0: asking the questions um, that, that matter. That's what I think. Wow. Okay. Uh, what a conversation. What a guest. A huge, huge <laughs> thank you. A huge thank you to you, Maurice, for <laughs> coming to the show and, you know, sharing your nuggets and your experience. Thank you. Asante Asante Sana, Maurice.
1: My absolute pleasure, Diblex. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, yeah, I, I, I hope that uh, people will feel encouraged that the, the challenge is not insurmountable. There's so much good work to be done and we need everyone to get involved. So, uh, yeah. For sure. It.
0: And we have to be positive and all hands on deck on this one, Maurice. Asante, asante, Sana, my brother. Have a good day. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Devlex. Cheers. Thank you so much, our listener, for being part of this great conversation. And if you love listening to this podcast, Remember to subscribe on your favorite listening app for free today. Please be sure to rate and review us. The reviews helps other listeners to find us. Let us also know what you like best about this podcast. And always remember that the conservation conversation is for everyone. Stay safe and stay blessed. Goodbye.